and having just read about Israel's fall into sin, their making of the golden calf, and then God's holy judgment on his people. On the heels of this tragic event, the people are in mourning. The Lord tells Moses he will not go with them into the promised land. It's a pretty bleak situation (laughs) that we pick up in and Really, if it weren't for Moses interceding for the people, certainly they would be destroyed by now. But God is also merciful. And in his mercy, the story continues. So, let's see what happens next as we read from Exodus chapter 33, starting in verse 7. We'll read to the end of the chapter. That's verse 23. This is the word of the Lord. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp, some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of the meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance, while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance to their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Moses said to the Lord, You've been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways, so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me? And with your people, unless you go with us. What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked, because I am pleased with you, and I know you by name. Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand, and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. This ends the reading of God's word. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we do ask once again that you would show us Christ, that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive your word, Lord, and to understand what you are telling us and teaching us in it. Lord, be pleased to be at work through your servant, this preacher, And we ask, O Lord, that your Spirit would attend these words and change our hearts and make us more like Jesus, for we pray in his name. Amen. 
Relationships are hard, um, especially family relationships, it seems. There's a reason there's a whole category of jokes that surround mothers-in-law, right? <laughs> but on a more serious note, for, for so many, relationships with parents can be the most stressful, challenging, and painful experiences in our lives. And I know that many of you have strained or broken relationships with a father or a mother. Sometimes that division runs so deep that it can be confusing when you read in the Bible that God is our Father in heaven. Especially if your own father doesn't come close to reflecting what God is like. Maybe you've struggled with absentee parents or unloving or even abusive family members. What makes this so painful is that we crave intimacy with our family. We, we long for harmony and mutual love and kindness and acceptance. We all yearn for that family that will always be with us and always forgive us, always love us, no matter what. Well, as we consider our passage in Exodus this morning, we'll encounter that deep longing of Moses and the people of Israel. That acceptance that only God can give. And we'll see how the Lord breaks through all the barriers, all our barriers, to be that one who can truly satisfy our souls. And so as we walk through this story, there's going to be three main points to guide us. First, the tent. Second, the presence. And third, the glory. And what I want us to take away this morning is that God is near to us in Christ so that we can see his glory and live forever. God is near to us in Christ so we can see his glory and live forever. And so the first point, the tent, the tent. Our passage begins with this kind of odd break in the narrative, right? Here's the people of Israel. They're mourning. They've taken off all their ornaments, right? Um, clearly, they are saddened by what has happened, um, and then it's this tent. <laughs> well, what's going on with the tent? Um, well, really, this tent is how the people worshiped the Lord in the wilderness before the tabernacle was, uh, was built. Uh, right? Moses had been on the mountain getting the, all the instructions for how the people could worship the Lord and draw near to him. Unfortunately, um, things went south. But we read in this tent um, something very specific that I think this, it reveals why it's here. First, the text tells us where Moses pitched the tent. Maybe you didn't notice at first. It says it was outside the camp, some distance away. This language is, is revealing something to us about God's intentionality and his purpose in keeping a distance from his people. And it's not because of some problem that exists in God, but because of the sin problem of the people. The fact is that they couldn't be near to the Lord in their condition. And we also read in verse 7 that technically anyone could seek the Lord, right, and go out to the tent of meeting. But the only one we actually see and read about doing it is, is Moses. And what's amazing is that Moses would speak to God, right, and the Lord would speak to him face to face, it says, as, as one speaks with a friend, this intimacy that they shared. The people, though, they would stand 
at the front of their own tents. And they would watch as the cloud of God's presence descended on the tent of meeting. We also read that Joshua was Moses' aide, his assistant, and he stayed, even when Moses went back to the camp. Most likely he was serving as a guard to prevent the people from approaching the Lord improperly. Well, remember, if you were here last week, we heard God say to the people, you are a stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you, even for a moment, I might destroy you. But with Moses, it was, it was a different story, right? He and Joshua were the ones, really the only ones who were quarantined, as it were, from the disease of sin that spread throughout the whole camp as they were worshiping this golden idol. And so, Moses, as God's prophet, he alone is given access to that intimate and deep fellowship with the Lord in the tent, where they spoke together as friends. Well, all of these factors come together to accentuate the grim reality of the people. You see, they had broken the covenant. The relationship that God established with them through those covenant tablets now laid shattered at the foot of Mount Sinai. God told them what was required if they were to be near to him. He was making plans for their forever home. But they rejected the Lord in preference for their own way and their own temporary happiness. And like we heard last week, it's not just the Israelites who face that reality. It's us. It's our selfish rejection of God even in the small ways that we exchange his glory for worldly things, that that sin separates us from his goodness. Friends, if God's presence isn't with us, we're ruined. And so that brings us to now our second point, the presence. Verse 12 reveals some of Moses' confusion about what the Lord wants him to do. And maybe you can understand it, right? Uh, He's set apart to lead the people into the land that God had promised to give them, but now the covenant is broken and things got a little more complicated. Moses knows very well that God would destroy them in their sin. In fact, he's already pleaded for the people twice to be spared from God's burning anger against them. So here's Moses saying in this section, you've told me that I have your favor, you know me by name, but what do you want me to do with these people, your people? And it's really, Moses is facing that dilemma of how can a holy God, who is perfect in goodness, who is morally pure in every way, how can he be near a desperately sinful people? Our God is a consuming fire. Anything unholy, impure, or evil will be destroyed by his presence. But at the same time, Moses knows that without God's presence, the people are utterly ruined, lost, doomed to destruction. It's like trying to go into combat as an untrained and unarmed civilian and there's no one with you. Who's going to fight for the people? Who will lead them? Who will protect and provide for them? Moses certainly can't do all that. What a predicament. But we read in verse 15, Moses says to the Lord, if your presence does not go with us, do not 
send us up from here. He sees it's, it's futile to try to even go on our own without the Lord. Uh, Moses goes on to appeal to the Lord's reputation even, saying, how will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? Right, it's almost like Moses is reminding God, isn't that why you chose us in the first place? Isn't that why you made this promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? That you might make your glory known through us to bring blessing to all the nations? So as Moses is reminding God of these things, the Lord relents. And we read that because the Lord is pleased with Moses, he will do what Moses asked. Here again, that instance of a prophet, Moses, serving as a priest to represent the people to God and even to represent God to himself. At the end of the day, Moses isn't changing God's mind, but he's serving as God's chosen instrument to fulfill his promises. The inclination of God's heart is already to be merciful and kind and loving to his people to fulfill his promise, even despite their rebellion and sinfulness. So Moses is this mediator between the Lord and the people. And brothers and sisters, this is a picture of what the Lord Jesus does for us. 1 Timothy chapter 2 tells us that there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And unlike Moses, Jesus ever lives above for us to intercede. His all-redeeming love, his precious blood to plead. See, Christ secured God's favor for us, even despite our sinfulness. And he pours out God's goodness and blessing into our lives, all so that you and I can know the presence of God with us, always. Leading us to our heavenly home, the land that he has promised to all who believe. And that's our third point, now the glory. Seeing the tent, the presence of the glory of God, because the Lord promised Moses that he now will go with his people. He will be with them. So Moses is probably feeling pretty good as a mediator. He, he's done a good job. Look, I convinced the Lord, right? This is, this is going well. So he makes another bold move. Verse 18, show me your glory. Wow, wow. But why does he ask this of all things? Moses is desperate to be certain that God is who he says he is, that he'll do what he says he'll do. He, maybe he's not sure, right? I mean, how many times is this going to happen? The people are going to sin and the Lord is going to turn away from them. He can't be with them. He wants to be certain. But doesn't he realize this is actually kind of a dangerous request? In fact, it reminds me of C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia. Maybe you've read the books or seen the movies in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. There's a moment when the children who travel into the land of Narnia, they learn that Aslan, the god figure, is actually a lion. Oh, said Susan. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. Here's Moses, show me your glory. Will, will he be safe? 
Maybe even he isn't sure. But he asks this of the Lord because he's got nowhere else to go. He's desperate. He might be rebuked for such a bold request, but he knows that he can't carry on unless the Lord helps him to move forward. Trusting in a God who is truly good. And it's funny, if you look back, right, early on when Moses first encountered the glory of the Lord in the burning bush, here's God speaking to him, saying all the things that he's going to do in Egypt to set his people free. He's going to do great signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. You know, his power and glory will be made known. And Moses is there, and all he can think about or talk about is his own weakness and his own doubts. But look how things have changed. Now, here, even though Moses, yeah, he's aware of his own weaknesses and, and fears, he looks up from himself in order to know the Lord and his ways. See, Moses is starting to realize that it's not about him. It's not about his ability or lack thereof to lead the people. He asks to see God's glory as the means by which he can confidently say, the Lord is with us. Moses knows that unless God is with his people, they're ruined. And the same is true for us. Not only are we ruined in this life apart from the Lord in our sin, but we would be ruined for all eternity. On our own, there's nothing to protect us from the consuming fire of God's holiness. We're just like the Israelites. Our sin has separated us from God. The only place where the intimacy and fullness and joy that, that we long for can be, can be experienced is the Lord, but we've been cut off. What a predicament we're in. We need someone to restore us. We need someone to protect us from the blazing fire of God's holiness. We need someone who can bring sinners like us near to the Lord. And even Moses, right? We read in our text, he's pleasing to the Lord. He has his favor. He's known by name. He talks face to face with God. Even he still can't behold all of God's glory. Right? The Lord says he needs to be shielded by this cleft in the rock. And even then, God covers Moses with his hand. The Lord tells him, I'll proclaim my name as he passes by. And even then, God reminds Moses that he's merciful and compassionate. But Moses will only see the backside of God. Really, it's just, it just means he's going to get a tiny peek, a little glimpse. But when Jesus came, he was born of a virgin. He dwelt among us as the true tent of God, fulfilling all the law of God, the perfectly pleasing Son of God and God the Son. And now he promises to usher us into the fullness of God's presence to behold all of his glory that Moses only caught a glimpse of. Jesus is the one who went outside the camp in our place to bear the full weight of our sin before the dangerous glory of God. But unlike Moses, he, he wasn't protected. He died on that cross. And he did it to reconcile sinful men and women like us to God. 
And now, as the risen Lord, he is the rock of ages, whose blood covers us and protects us from the all-consuming holiness of God. Jesus' face is the face of glory that we get to behold forever. And it's by his free and lavish grace that he once and for all has brought us near to God so that we can see his glory and live and live forever. Friends, are you feeling weak? Are you feeling weary? Are you full of doubts or confusion? Are you unsure whether or not you are worthy of the loving presence of God? Run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. Because He is your worthiness. He is your confidence. He is your strength. And it's in His arms that your soul will find what it most desperately craves. His faithful and loving presence. His forgiveness and acceptance that will last forever, no matter what. This reality gives us the confidence that we need to move forward despite the challenges, despite the pain, despite the broken relationships, and the fear that we struggle with. In fact, God is so near to us even now that he's filled us with his Holy Spirit. It's the guarantee of his relationship with us and us with him. So no matter where this life takes us, it will always be taking us closer to our God and to the heavenly land where we will live forever in his glorious presence. And so to wrap up, brothers and sisters, let's run, walk, limp, or crawl to Jesus and to do it together, knowing that God is near to us in Christ so that we can see his glory and live forever. For God said, let light shine out of darkness. He has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In him, there's a hope that gives fullness of joy, even now, as we await that glory that will be revealed when we make it home. But until that day, May we seek His grace together to strengthen us on our journey to face the challenges of broken relationships, to find true rest in the perfect love of God, our Savior. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we do need Your grace. We need Your strength. Your presence with us. We can't do this on our own. Lord, we are desperate. And so meet us, we pray. Meet us in the name of Jesus and by the power of your Holy Spirit that we would have hope, that we would find the strength that we need to face the challenges of this life which overwhelm us. Lord, thank you that it doesn't overwhelm you, that even our own sin could not keep you away from us, but you have loved us. Lord Jesus, you have sacrificed everything to bring us near. So teach us, Lord, to be amazed, to be grateful, and to rejoice in your goodness and love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.